Chapter Fourteen of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fourteen. Daisy's Diary at Lamford. Home is sweet even after Italy, even after the bright and busy streets of Paris, with their flower shops and milliners and bonbons and prettinesses of all kinds, and the bois and the carriages and the smart people and the music and the life and movement everywhere, and above all the opera and the theatres paris was very nice i had no idea i could enjoy any city so much after venice i thought that enchanting labyrinth of marble lying upon the breast of the waves would take the colour out of every other city in the world but paris was nice all the same and i was sorry to leave it home is sweet always i have been reading my german plato this morning under the willows that shade my father's grave in the old spot that has been my sanctuary ever since i began to read serious books and to try to understand the thoughts of great writers plato is so comforting after schopenhauer and hartmann plato is full of hope they are the preachers of despair mother seems happy to be at home again in the old rooms among the books and pictures and in the gardens she loves so dearly she has imported a small fortune in the shapes of specimen conifers and azaleas and peonies and roses from a famous nursery near paris and she is happily employed in superintending the planting of her treasures it is rather late for planting our head gardener says in his broad scotch and he even went so far as to give us a saying quoted by the great sir walter himself plant a tree before candlemas and ye may command it to grow plant one after candlemas and ye may just entreat it to grow but in spite of sir walter's proverb we must trust in providence and in our good old macpherson skill uncle ambrose retains the cottage in which he has lived so long and in which cyril's childhood was spent there is no room in our house for his books which fill every available wall in the cottage so he keeps them on their old shelves and uses his old study when he is working on any subject which requires much reference to authorities he is writing a new book i believe though he has not confessed as much to either mother or me he is very reticent about his literary work and seemed surprised and almost scared by the success of his last book and by the tremendous amount of criticism and argumentation that was expended upon it i could not live without literary work he told me once but i do not derive much pleasure from the publication of a book critics are an aggravating race they see meanings that i never meant they overlook the better part of my work he is the most self-contained man this world ever saw i believe he takes no delight in the things that please other people but he is the best and kindest friend i have and he adores mother so what can i want more in him to make up perfection cyril is his opposite in most things all energy action light-heartedness i sometimes wish he were a little less light-hearted one may weary of perpetual sunshine if i am ever in a sad or meditative mood i have a feeling that however kind cyril is he can't understand me he seems miles and miles away from me as far as from england to america he has been away at oxford since we came home visiting some of his college friends of course i miss him sadly but there is a kind of relief in being alone after continual companionship had cyril been here i should not have been able to spend a morning by my father's grave he would have wanted me to go for a ride or a walk or to row down to henley i fall back into my old ways and my sad quiet life naturally while he is away and if it were not that we write to each other every day i might almost forget that we are engaged 
uncle ambrose is not fond of river lawn he does not say as much but i know him too well not to find out his real feelings children have a way of watching faces and i used to watch his face years ago to see when he was pleased or displeased with me so that i came to know every line in his countenance and what every line means no he is not fond of river lawn all the things i love the quaint old cottage rooms that father and mother found here before they were married the low ceilings the bow windows the great oak beams and diamond panes and leaden lattices have no charm for uncle ambrose nor yet the handsome rooms father built so studiously arranged for mother's comfort drawing-room and dining-room below bedroom dressing-room and boudoir above nothing could be more picturesque than the old rooms or more comfortable and luxurious than the new and yet uncle ambrose does not like the house i can see it in his face he seems to bear a grudge towards the place father loved and cared about is it jealousy i wonder surely a philosopher a man who has studied the deeper meanings and mysteries of life present and future as socrates studied them surely such a man could not feel so petty and limited a feeling as jealousy jealousy of my dear dead father's love and forethought for my mother a jealousy so trivial as to set him against the rooms and the furniture my father provided for his wife no i cannot believe him capable of such pettiness he is a man of large mind and far-reaching thoughts and to be jealous about chairs and tables impossible but the fact still remains uncle ambrose does not like river lawn he is full of his plans for the house in grosvenor square he has been to london with my mother twice already to hurry on the work he wants to install us there at the beginning of june so that we may enjoy all the gaieties of the season the summer season when people almost live out of doors mother is to be presented on her marriage and i am to be presented by mother she has already begun to talk of my court gown all white like a bride's cyril suggested that it would be an economy for us to marry while the gown is fresh but i told him that the idea of matrimony in relation to him had not yet entered my head it has entered other people's heads though my dear lady disdain said he i suppose you know that a certain suite of rooms in grosvenor square is being fitted with a view to our joint occupation with a view means any time within the next ten years i told him upon this he began to be disagreeably persistent and declared that nobody had ever contemplated a long engagement which is utterly untrue since mother suggested that we should wait two years before we marry we had plenty of money he said and what was there to prevent our being married before the summer was over a great many things said i but first and chief among them the fact that we are both much too feather-headed to take such an awful step as matrimony and then i reminded him how nice it is to be engaged how much nicer for young people like us than to be married and tied to each other in a sort of domestic bondage marriage is a capital institution for middle-aged and elderly people said i the very best and brightest examples we have of married people are bosses and philemon and darby and joan now you would not expect me to feel like bosses bosses was young once said he yes and then no doubt she was engaged to philemon and he used to serenade her as you did me that night at venice oh it was lovely you couldn't have serenaded your wife you would have been indoors grumbling at her more likely daisy you are talking nonsense said he sternly and no doubt he spoke the truth oh i am only pleading for youth and liberty for the morning hours of life i explained 
while you are my fiancée you can go where you like do what you like and there is no one to find fault with you if i were your wife i might feel offended at your going up to london so often and coming home so late at night and being a member of so many clubs if i were your wife i might grumble at your accepting that invitation to oxford for next week tell me to withdraw my acceptance and it is done he cried in his impulsive way i give you all the authority of a wife in advance being your slave what can i do but wait don't quote that sonnet i said everybody does quote something fresh he did not notice this impertinence he was pacing up and down the room in a state of excitement your mother did not think like you daisy he said she was only nineteen when she married ah but then she adored my father said i without thinking what i was saying he stopped his impetuous perambulations and walked over to me with a terrible countenance he laid his hands upon my shoulders and looked me in the face margaret hatrell he said do you mean what your words imply do i mean that my mother was desperately in love with my father of course i do and that you are not in love with me not desperately in love oh cyril don't look at me like that you have no right to look so angry you have no right to look so shocked and distressed did i ever tell you that i adored you did i ever pretend to be desperately in love never 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 i am not romantic or poetical as my mother was at my age i have been taught differently your father trained my mind and he did not make me romantic it isn't in my nature to love anyone as mother loved father at least i think not a strange faltering stopped me as i said this a curious dim feeling that there were hidden possibilities in my heart dreams that i might have dreamt feelings that would have brought my mind nearer akin to my mother's mind if fate had been different the look of absolute distress in his face made me unhappy and i tried to make amends for my foolish inconsiderate speech why should you be shocked because i am not romantic i asked i don't think you are a very romantic person either we have known each other all our lives and we ought to be very happy together by and by is that not enough cyril not quite he answered graver than i had ever seen him until that moment but i suppose it is all i shall get so i must be satisfied yesterday afternoon i amused myself with an exploration it was a lovely afternoon almost summer-like though we are still in the time of tulips and hyacinths and the beeches have not yet unfolded their tender young leaves mother had gone to london with her husband to look at the drawing-rooms which are receiving their finishing touches at the hands of the decorators and i had all the day to myself i spent the whole morning at my studies working upon a synopsis of duryea's history of the greeks which uncle ambrose advised me to write firstly to impress historical facts upon my mind secondly to cultivate style and thirdly to acquire the power of arranging and condensing a subject with neatness and facility it is rather dry work but i like it and i adore the greeks i have been reading eber's egyptian story between whiles and i think that has helped me to realize the atmosphere of that bygone age when pisistratus was ruling at athens and croesus was preaching platitudes upon his fallen fortunes at the court of amasis i finished my work before lunch which is an absurd meal when mother is away a mere scramble with the dogs who come in to keep me company and clear my plate under my nose directly after lunch i took up my hat to go out whereupon sappho and phaon my darling irish setters went mad and nearly knocked me down in their delighted anticipation of a ramble with me 
we had explored every lane copse and common within four miles of river lawn so i wanted if i possibly could to give the dogs a change and i thought i would venture to peep in at fountainhead where the shrubberies are full of primroses at this season the fountainhead gardener and our under-gardener are great friends and i have often talked to him when he has been in our grounds i know the old housekeeper too so i had no compunction in opening a little gate in the shrubbery which gives on to the narrow lane that divides our property from mr florestan's there is a grand entrance on the henley road and high iron gates and a rustic lodge with a thatched roof and the dearest old chimney-stack the gardener's family live in this lodge but the big gate is only opened when mr florestan is at home and that is very seldom he told me he meant to be oftener at fountainhead in future he feels himself growing too old for a roving life i suppose he must be at least nine-and-twenty which is certainly old compared with cyril and me how nice it is to be young to feel oneself quite young and how sad it must be when weariness and age begin to creep over one i am miserable sometimes when i think that mother will grow old before i do that i shall see the shadows stealing over that dear and lovely face the shadows that foretell the end oh that is the bane of life that is what makes life not worth living the knowledge that death is waiting somewhere on that road we know not the grey mysterious highway of the future waiting for those we love the old shrubberies looked lovely in the afternoon sun such a wild wealth of rhododendron and arbutus and so many fine conifers half buried among the spreading branches a tangle of loveliness periwinkle and st john's wort straggling over every bit of unoccupied ground phaon and sappho rushed about like mad things imagining all sorts of impossible vermin and scratching and digging whenever they got out of reach of my whip that dog-whip of mine looks formidable but i'm afraid those two clever darlings know that i would not hurt them for worlds i had my pocket dante with me meaning to try and fancy myself in the pine forest near ravenna where he used to meditate but the book was so far true to its name that it never left my pocket i seemed to have so much to think about and a spring afternoon with light cloudlets floating in a pale blue sky and the perfume of violets in the air sets all one's most fanciful fancies roaming far and wide i think my thoughts were light as thistledown or vanity that afternoon or they could never have strayed so far and yet there was a touch of sadness in them for i could not help thinking of gilbert florestan and his melancholy position quite alone in the world mother and father both lying still and dumb as my dear father lives in his grave under the willows no sister or brother no one to care for him or to lean upon him no doubt he has cousins as i have i have not quite made up my mind whether cousins are a necessary evil or a modified blessing i'm afraid if i stood alone in the world as he does dora and flora would not fill a large gap in my life i rambled in the shrubberies and the dear old-fashioned gardens till i was tired and then i began to feel the keenest curiosity about the inside of the house it is not a pretty house but it is old and dignified when one has come but lately from a city of palaces one can hardly be altogether alive to the beauty of an old english mansion with moss-grown walls and deep-set windows and a general greyness and low tone of colour which some people find dispiriting yet the house touched me by a kind of mournful beauty and a sense of quiet desolation such as i felt only a few weeks ago when i looked at those old neglected mansions upon some of the smaller canals so gloomy in their grandeur as of the dead irrevocable past 
i have felt sometimes as if i would give worlds to be able to buy one of those degraded dilapidated old palaces and to clear away all its parasite growth of petty modern uses and to restore it to the splendour and the beauty of three hundred years ago and yet i have shuddered at the thought of the phantoms that might come crowding round me in those great grand rooms of all the dead people who might awake at the sound of music and laughter in the home where they were once young and merry i walked up and down the broad gravel terrace in front of mr florestan's house it stands only about thirty feet above the level of the river bank and a wide lawn slopes gently from the house to the river i could see the boats going by and hear the voices of the rowers which were a relief after the uncanny feeling that had crept over me while i was in the great overgrown garden on the other side of the house i believe the gardener must have given himself a holiday for not a human creature did i see in the grounds there is a glass door opening on to the terrace with an old-fashioned hanging bell i ventured to ring that antiquated bell trembling a little at the thought of ghosts and perhaps a little at the thought that the old housekeeper would wonder at my wanting to explore her domain the fancy had never come into my foolish brain before to-day but i suppose that was because i had seen so little of mr florestan until we met in paris and could not feel any particular interest in his house now that i know him the house seems like an old friend and i wonder that i can have looked so often at the old indian red roof and the great grey stone chimney-stacks without wanting to see what the inside is like no one answered my summons though i heard the bell ringing with an awful distinctness i rang again but still there was no answer though i waited long enough for the feeblest of old women to creep from the remotest corner of the rambling old house i rang a third time and still there was no reply and the more i couldn't get in the more keenly curious i became so at last knowing old mrs murdew would never resent any liberty on the part of my mother's daughter mother being a power at lamford i tried the door it opened easily and i went in taking care to shut the door after me so as to keep phaon and sappho outside they were scampering about the shrubberies and i knew they would find their way home when they missed me i went in feeling very much as fatima must have felt or in other words just a little ashamed of my idle curiosity the house is a dear old house very shabby as to carpets and curtains but with lovely old furniture of sir charles grandison's period and with old china in every corner china which i feel assured must be worth a fortune but i will never breathe a word about its value to mr florestan or he may pack it all off to christie's men are such goths where wedgwood teapots and wooster willow pattern are in question yes it is a dear old house it has an old old perfume of rose leaves and lavender which must have been hoarded ever so long before mr florestan was born in all the old chrysanthemum bowls and hawthorn jars which stand about everywhere on the tops of cabinets and in corner cupboards and in quaint little alcoves and recesses which one meets with unawares in the corridors and lobbies not all the wealth of the indies could create such a house it is the slow growth of time like the golden-brown lichens and cool grey mosses on the garden walls i roamed and roamed about the rooms on the ground floor opening one into another quaintly and convenient with queer little doors half wainscot and half wallpaper rooms without the faintest pretension to splendour or dignity rooms that suggest the world as miss edgeworth and miss austin knew it a world in which people dined at five o'clock and danced country dances and played on the spinet and painted on velvet and talked about the luncheon tray and the britzka i looked at all the ornaments on all the tables and chimney-pieces the things our grandmothers loved 
cardboard hand-screens with pencil landscapes craig miller castle guy's cliff spill boxes what are spills by the way and why such a passion for boxes to accommodate them old albums and scrapbooks old work baskets lined with faded satin everything was arranged as neatly as it had been fifty years ago when mr florestan's grandmother was mistress of the house and these were her things most of them his mother's room had a more modern look yet even there the books desks and work-boxes were old-fashioned how quickly the fashion of this life passes away at first i was too much interested and amused to feel the uncanny influences of those deserted rooms full of things that had belonged to people who were all dead but presently that air of long ago together with the death-like silence of the house began to affect my spirits a feeling of profound melancholy crept over me i thought of my dear dead father and wondered as i have so often wondered where the dead are how near us how distant i went back to the dining-room for a last look at the family portraits before leaving the desolate house mrs murdew had evidently gone out upon some errand and there was no use in waiting for her return i looked with interest at the picture on the left of the sideboard and near the door leading into the hall it was the portrait of mr florestan's father a full-length painting in a rough brown shooting-suit knickerbockers and mighty hobnailed boots a picturesque brown hat a gun and a liver-coloured pointer were the accessories of the boldly painted figure against a background of russet foliage the picture which was by a master hand might have been called a study in brown the likeness between father and son was remarkable it might have been gilbert florestan's portrait that i was looking at i studied the picture so long fascinated by that wonderful slapdash power the kind of painting which ruskin describes as a rapid hand and a full brush that the face seemed to grow into my mind and the figure almost took life and motion as i looked at it my nerves were in a peculiar state after that hour of silence and thoughtfulness in the desolate house or else i could hardly have been so foolish as i was two minutes afterwards when i turned to leave the dining-room and shrieked with terror on seeing a figure on the threshold of the door in the shadow of the half-closed shutters i was idiot enough to mistake the real for the unreal the living son for the dead father in that moment of terror i believed that the figure standing there looking at me with a quiet smile was the ghostly semblance of the man whose picture i had contemplated so long pray forgive me for startling you said mr florestan offering me his hand in the easiest way and not allowing me to see that he thought me an idiot as he must have done i ought to have given you some notice of my arrival you were so absorbed in my father's picture that you did not hear his son's footsteps i think it is the fault of that thick turkey carpet rather than of my abstraction i told him but i really was absorbed in the picture and envying the painter his power to get such a grand effect out of such simple elements it is almost as fine as gainsborough's blue boy i had no idea you were coming to england so soon i had no idea myself but the distance from paris to lamford is such a bagatelle that i thought i might as well run across and have a look at the old home before all the tulips are withered my mother used to be so fond of her tulips though they were never a costly collection a dutch connoisseur would have laughed at our poor little show have you only just arrived i asked feeling that i was redder than the reddest of the tulips and wondering what he must think of my extraordinary intrusion within three minutes the fly is still at the door and my servant is bringing in my portmanteau you must think it so strange to find me here 
i stammered feeling even worse than fatima though there were no gory heads lying about to add to my embarrassment i only think it delightful to be welcomed by the presence of a friend he answered with his inexpressible kindness there was something in his smile and in his tone of voice so full of protecting friendliness that i began to feel easier in my mind and was able to explain my appearance in his dining-room on that particular afternoon and then i told him that i must go and hunt for the dogs who might be doing all manner of mischief in his shrubbery i had a secret conviction that the good creatures had gone peaceably home to the stables but they afforded a decent excuse to get me out of the house i feel sure they won't do the slightest harm he said but if you are uneasy on that score we'll go and look for them together and then perhaps your mother will take pity upon a tired traveller and give me a cup of tea i am so dreadfully sorry i said mother is in london and won't be home much before eight that's a sad disappointment i had looked forward to seeing her this afternoon we went out at the hall together and we explored the shrubberies and garden but saw no sign of the dogs he went home with me and we found Savo and phaon in their kennels whither they had returned half an hour before then from the stable-yard we walked naturally to the garden where the basket-chairs and tables had been set out on the terrace in honour of the summery warmth of the afternoon the footman came out with a tea-tray and arranged it while mr florestan and i stood looking at the river servants are so officious i had happened to say at luncheon that if the day continued fine i thought i would have tea in the garden and here was the man setting out the cups and saucers under mr florestan's nose there was no help for it i could not be so inhospitable as to send him away tealess with my pet brass kettle singing merrily over the spirit-lamp and my favourite buns frizzling fresh from the oven i made the best of my awkward position perhaps as mother isn't here you'll allow me to give you a cup of tea i said he accepted eagerly i almost hoped he'd take his tea standing and go away directly he had emptied the cup but although he had been the soul of delicacy and consideration in his own house he seemed to think he might do as he liked in ours he seated himself in one of the low basket-chairs and i felt that he meant to stay i dare say he thought it the most natural thing in the world but i could not help feeling the strangeness of it though cyril and i had tea on the terrace tete-a-tete -tete many a time before we were engaged and mr florestan is a good deal older than cyril so i tried not to look confused or silly as i poured out the tea please let me wait upon you i said when i saw him struggling out of the chair the seat of which is only about a foot from the ground i know how tired you must be let me wait upon you just as if you were mother the offer is too tempting i own to feeling tired i left paris at eight o'clock and that meant leaving my lodgings at seven and the day was hot and dry and dusty however this garden and the river make amends for all i have suffered and this toasted bun is better than the most famous of bignon's sautés why do we waste our substance on paris dinners when tea and cake on a sunlit terrace are so much more delicious we cannot always have the terrace and the sunshine oh but there is the winter fireside said he every one has a fireside i am assured that epicurean dining is a mistake a man left to his own devices usually dines on a mutton-chop gourmandism is more swagger and rivalry a lord avonlea for a wager invents a dish which shall be costlier than anybody else's dish a fricassee composed of that particular morsel out of a fowl's back which epicures have christened the oyster a hecatomb of chickens have to be sacrificed for a single fricassee 
and lord alvinley goes down to posterity as the inventor of the costliest dish that was ever cooked since vitellius and his nightingale's tongues almost all our dining in paris is upon the same principle we vie with each other in wastefulness and restaurateurs grow rich it was a pleasure to hear him rattle on as he took his tea devouring buns and jam sandwiches and seeming really to enjoy the meal i was very soon as much at home with him as if he had been cyril i told him about the house in grosvenor square and we had a long discussion upon colouring and high art in furniture i find that he inclines to the italian school and thinks that orientalism is a mistake in london your persian lattices and moorish divans imply perpetual sunshine a lazy life and a semi-tropical climate he said they are mere foolishness in such a country as england were i furnishing a house in town i would take a florentine palace as my model and so you are going to desert river lawn in all its summer beauty for the starched stateliness of grosvenor square i told him that the change was not my choice or my mother's but that it was my stepfather who was shifting the scene of our lives and then i was drawn on to tell him of my stepfather's dislike of the house which had been my father's home i suppose it is a natural feeling on his part i said he loves my mother so intensely that he cannot bear to see her in the home which her first husband made for her yes it may be that such a jealousy is natural to some temperaments your stepfather is a peculiar man a man of deep feeling i fancy yes that is quite true he was devoted to my mother for years all the years of her widowhood before he took courage to ask her to be his wife he is the most unselfish of men he hardly made any use of his fortune until his marriage but since he has been mother's husband he has spent his money like a prince and you are to be his son's wife he said that will strengthen the bond between your mother and him his voice and manner changed curiously as he said this no one could have been gayer than he was five minutes before when he was expatiating upon the merits of jam sandwiches no one could be graver than he was now i did not answer him what could i say my engagement is an accepted fact we were both silent till i felt somebody would have to say something so i said rather stupidly cyril and i have known each other since we were children we are almost like brother and sister almost with the difference of a wedding ring he answered and he rose to say good-bye when he was gone i found he had stayed only twenty minutes and i had two hours to dispose of before eight o'clock he came to see mother this afternoon and they walked together on the terrace in earnest conversation for more than an hour uncle ambrose was over at the cottage buried among his books i was in the drawing-room and i couldn't help feeling a little curious about what mother and mr florestan could find to talk about all that time i tried to practise but found myself repeatedly running to the window to look at them he took leave at last without coming into the house to see me which i thought was a little ungrateful on his part after my having given him tea yesterday afternoon what secrets have you and your neighbour been talking dearest i asked when mother came slowly in at the drawing-room window looking grave and thoughtful don't ask to know too much my pet we have been talking of a page in the book of the past nothing that touches my daisy you have been talking of my father i said she did not deny it i asked no more questions knowing how easily she is saddened by any thought of the past yet i could not help wondering and wondering and wondering all day long what connection there could be between mr florestan and my father's fate may thirtieth 
it is ever so long since i wrote the last line in my diary and we have migrated to grosvenor square the house is lovely every detail that can minister to the comfort and convenience of its inhabitants has been studied and thought out my rooms are delicious colouring form everything in excellent taste outlook sunny flowers in all the windows brightness and prettiness everywhere and yet i find myself regretting river lawn every hour of my life and i have a shrewd suspicion that mother feels very much as i do already she has been talking about august when we shall go back to lamford the drawing-room is for to-morrow and my court gown has come from madame martinez a train of thick dull white silk which falls in massive statuesque folds a white satin petticoat covered with crystal beads all one sparkle dazzling iridescent the costume is a marvel of brilliant simplicity mother has given me the pearl necklace she wore at her presentation two-and-twenty years ago and uncle ambrose has given me a set of diamond stars which are to fasten the ostrich plumes in my hair on my shoulders cyril brought his offering this morning a sapphire half-hoop ring the second he has given me the first was given me in venice where he bought it at one of the jewellers in the dear little merceria a double half-hoop of diamonds and rubies so now i have the three colours red white and blue on my engaged finger the rings are lovely but almost too heavy a load for my poor finger to carry june one the awful ceremony is over without any hitch and i hope without any gaucherie upon my part i have seen the face of her majesty for mother and i were early at the palace and the queen had not retired when our turn came my gown has been admired and is laid by in lavender and i am now formally introduced to society and have all the rights privileges and responsibilities of a young person who is out cyril is not to be allowed the splendours and luxuries of grosvenor square until after our marriage his father thinks that as a bachelor he is better off in the albany where he has a delightful set of rooms and where he may keep dogs entertain his oxford friends and smoke as much as he likes if i were a young man with such advantages i should never want to marry my cousins have expressed themselves very decidedly about my future life in grosvenor square they cannot believe it possible that any young couple could be happy under the same roof as their father and mother i should prefer the shabbiest little flat in the edgware road nominally hyde park to your splendid apartments said dora the plan may answer very well in france there is a kind of childishness about the french which makes them look up to their parents in a positively ridiculous way but it will never do in an english household mark my words daisy it will never do i told her that almost the chief consideration in my engagement to cyril was the idea that i should not be parted from my mother when i became his wife if that consideration influences you my dear depend upon it you don't care two straws for the man she answered in her horrid way i see a good deal of my cousins now i am living in town they find grosvenor square nearer the park than harley street and often drop into luncheon after their morning walk they walk in the row in the morning and ride before dinner daily as if it were a part of their religion and yet my aunt says i have not had one eligible offer for either of them i think there is something really pathetic in that yet End of chapter 14